Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm Hannah Strong. And I'm Lillian Crawford. On the show today, the master of Kung Fu joins the MCU in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Sparks Fly in Leos Carax's mail-order musical Annette, and in Film Club it's Jack Tatty's classic Playtime, all coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Welcome back listeners, welcome back Lillian, welcome back Hannah, how are you doing this week? Hannah, big news, the new issue of Little White Lies is out now, right? Yeah, it should be on um, shelves in all good retailers. Uh, the Dune issue has hit the stands. Very excited to have uh, Timo Tay Chalamet back on the cover. And yeah, I hope everyone enjoys it. I don't want to say too much because I want people to go and buy the magazine. Um, but it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit of a banger. Very much the, uh, the love child of um, David Jenkins, who worked super, super hard on this one and it's yeah it's it's really great i'm very proud of it very great uh cover illustration by uh, lola veltran and a little kind of cheeky spot varnish on the cover mm. which looks very nice uh so yeah i hope everyone goes out reads it enjoys it gives us lots of uh, nice feedback <laughs> Lily, have you had a chance to have a look at the issue yet? Do you have something in there yeah. this, this time? Yeah, it's such a great issue. There's so many wonderful pieces in there. I got to um, interview Hans Zimmer, which was something of a dream come true for me. So that that was that was great oh. fun. He's a incredibly lovely and very very funny man, and um, I hope that comes through in the um, in the write up of the interview. I read a tweet of yours where you, you related an anecdote that I think you can dine out on for years about a text that came through during your interview. Would you mind telling our listeners what that was? Yeah, so Ron <laughs> Howard started calling Harms during the interview um, and and he sort of, I don't want to start doing my, my best Bavarian accent, but uh, he, he, he sort of said, um, it's it's Ron Howard, I, go away Ron, um, I'm talking to Lillian right now. <laughs> So I was just like, I'm, I'm honoured. Thank you for talking to me instead of Ron Howard. <laughs> Go away, Ron should be the, could be a, a poor quote from a review of uh, Angels and Demons or something. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I think the, the new magazine looks 
absolutely beautiful as always i'm very sort of proud to actually have some words that i've written in the issue even though i'm on the podcast every week it's quite rarely that i get i have the privilege of writing for little white lies um but i've managed to wheedle my way into the june issue by with uh, my co-host of the Ghibliotech podcast jake cunningham we wrote a piece about the sort of creative production parallels between june the novel june the david lynch film um and Hayao Miyazaki's Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which was a manga and then a really a big anime film in the 1980s. And um, looking at the creative parallels there, the ways that adaptation changes things, the ways that creators may have their works wrestled away from them by um, by studios. And that's all in aid of the, the Ghibliotech book that we've put out. Ghibliotech's been a podcast for the last three years. I think I've plugged it a few times whenever <laughs> I'm given a little space to make a plug. Um, that's where we talk about the films of Studio Ghibli. And we've now written a book about the films of Studio Ghibli. And that's on shelves, I think, yeah, as of now, as of the time for recording, as a time of release, the book is out there. Um, that's quite an exciting thing. So that's my little plug section <laughs> very weird <laughs> for, for me to uh, make space for that so we should definitely now move on to the rest of the episode which is about studio ghibli films all the way through in aid <laughs> of the release of the ghibli Tech book no of course not marvel have a new film out so we should start with shang chi and the legend of the ten rings Marvel Studios' Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings stars Simu Liu as Shang-Chi, who must face the past he thought he left behind and confront his father, leader of the dangerous Ten Rings organisation. So, Lillian, let's get the context straight now. So even though this is the second film of Phase 4 of the MCU, following Black Widow, this really is the new start. This is a new hero, blank canvas, new stars, everything. Should we be excited for Shang-Chi? Yeah, absolutely, we should be. I, I wasn't before seeing it. I didn't really know anything about it. I don't think that Marvel's been going through sort of their usual um, bombarding everyone with marketing material for this one, which I find quite strange. I wonder if uh, it's more that, because this is a film that's very directly appealing to Marvel's Chinese market, and I would I would imagine that perhaps it's getting a, a much stronger campaign in China than it is perhaps... Um, over here. Also, we haven't been in cinemas much, so there hasn't been much time for, for new trailers and things, so I hadn't seen anything before seeing it. Um, and it was just incredibly refreshing that this film started, and the first half an hour or so is just like a Wucha film in Mandarin, and it's just gorgeous, and I was very, very much here for it, and I kept sort of thinking to myself, right, when's this fun flashback part going to end and when are we going to get the usual sort of um marvel antics and they, they do come but they come in a slightly different way to perhaps some of the other marvel films have done before and i think it's still very much wears those influences things like uh, the films of um king who and um some of the more major sort of cgi martial arts blockbusters that you'd get out of china itself um sort of being emulated by by marvel um yeah i really loved it i thought it i thought it was really refreshing to see something so different coming coming out of marvel it is what they're doing right so they, they've the marketing that we have seen really does push this set this forward this sense of that they're they're, they're appealing to a different culture they're 
you know, wading in different mythological waters from what we may have seen in the past, but also adopting different filmmaking styles, different stars as well. We have Tony Leung here, Michelle Yeoh, um, al alongside Asian American actors as well. At times I felt there was a bit of conflict between the sort of gears of the Marvel origin story and then having a lot of fun playing in the, 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 the you know, playing with all of the fun toys that come with an Asian martial arts movie. Hannah, we've been talking about superhero movies for years on this podcast. I know you've had you've been up and down all around on it. Where where are you with something like Shang-Chi? Yeah, I gosh, um I think I've said before on the podcast I do have a bit of fatigue when it comes to these movies now just because it is relentless. And I think this is the th what's this now? The second out of four Marvel movies we're getting this year. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of Marvel movies and I was going in very much like Lillian. I kind of um, didn't really know much about it just because I think the marketing push has been a lot uh, quieter over here, especially in the UK, but also because I purposefully didn't really um, read too much into it because I wanted to go in kind of knowing as little as possible. And I was quite cold on Black Widow, and so I wasn't really expecting very much. Uh, but I was very excited for Tony Leung because I love him. I think he's extremely handsome, extremely talented. So I was very happy to see him uh, kind of getting a big paycheck. Um, and I will say there's a fantastic profile of him in uh, GQ. If anyone is interested, I would highly recommend checking that out. It's really, really interesting. Uh, talks a lot about how he wanted to make a Hollywood blockbuster, which I think is something that we always butt up against as cinephiles, the idea that these, um, you know, very famous, very kind of arty actors and directors actually kind of want to make these movies. You know, I think we always say, oh, they're doing it for the paycheck. But no, actually, sometimes they just want to kind of have fun. And uh, I think he is having a lot of fun in this movie. He definitely, like... There's a real like listen up fives of ten is talking energy because he's just he really he, there's just such a presence to him you know he really commands every scene he's in and I think sometimes the other um, younger stars really can't quite keep up with him but um, yeah I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed this I think very much like Black Panther. And obviously it's trying to, you know, specifically address a problem of representation within the MCU. Um, it felt to me like a very kind of thought out, contained origin story, which I think is something I've really missed. I've missed the, the idea that the Marvel Universe is bigger than like the eight Avengers and everything has to come back to the eight Avengers. And yeah, it does kind of, you know, draw in the other characters and um i don't think it's a spoiler to say that um sir ben kingsley has quite a big supporting role in this film which i think he's delightful in it he's having like such a, f a fun time and um has some great lines he has this sort of weird faceless dog phoenix sidekick um that he does some great kind of like um back and forth with and I, I yeah I think he's very funny and kind of maybe avoided the um my usual complaint which is that everything sounds like a just weird and so that just happened um you know type type thing which I think is very grating and very noticeable once you kind of see it but um yeah pleasantly surprised I think <laughs> it sounds like a bit of a diss 
for a film, but I do think it's with these Marvel movies now, because they've lost basically half their cast, they are having to find new faces who can carry the franchise. And I do think that Sumu is a real kind of, I'm very excited to see more of him. I think he's charming. I think he has the right kind of um, like gravitas and he does a, he does a great job in this. I think it's, you know, a really solid first outing for him and for Aquafina as well, who I'm normally a bit um, hit and miss on. I thought she was, she was very funny as the kind of like quippy sidekick character. It, it sounds like this is one of those rare occasions where you're po- more positive on the Marvel movie than I am, Hannah, because this is like <laughs> really good, solid, serviceable, does some interesting things. That conflict of tone, you you mentioned a little bit there that, that they do have a lot of comedy sidekick characters or one-liners where it feels mean-spirited to compare it with Black Panther because you're comparing the two um, you know, plays for diversity within the Marvel Universe against each other. But Black Panther, with every passing year, feels like the rare example where everything clicks together. And that film didn't need a joke every five minutes to undercut the seriousness of the cultural references they were making. And that's what Ben Kingsley's character is there for, to every now and then go, whoa, how weird is all this Chinese mythology that we're in, in the middle of? Um, but likewise, Simi Liu is a very handsome, charming guy. But even though you said that with a smile on your face, Hannah, shut up fives to tens talking, this is the first time I feel with Marvel that I've come out not wanting to see more of the lead character. They're so good at casting and they're so good at the origin story element that if you think from Iron Man, Captain America onwards, they're so good at making you want to see more of these actors or at least surrounding them with supporting characters that makes you want to see more of everybody. Think about even Doctor Strange. Benedict Cumberbatch handles himself well against Attila Swinton or Paul Rudd handles himself well against Michael Douglas in Ant-Man. In this one, I just want more Tony Lung. And Aquafina and Simu Liu come across, and I, I, I say this, I, I really don't want to sound like I'm doing them down. I am looking forward to watching more films with this character in. But I didn't come out wanting more of them. I wanted more of the... the you know, I wanted to actually go away and re-watch a bunch of Wong Kar Wai films or dig deeper into um, you know, Hong Kong Chinese cinema, which maybe shouldn't be the, the, the top priority of a Marvel movie like this Lillian what did you make am I being too down on the film yeah I mean it's interesting you saying that because I I think that this is actually the first time when I really was invested in the central characters Mm. of the Marvel film I mean I think I felt that with 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 Black Panther and Chadwick Boseman is absolutely incredible as T'Challa in in, in that film and I I think that was the last Marvel film that I really enjoyed as much as this one um and yeah I I thought that the the sort of I liked that it wasn't just one hero, that there was a sort of, like, there was a real group dynamic that, that you know, um, Shang-Chi and um, Aquafina are, are very much a unit in this film and, and, and they sort of, you know, it sets them up as a, as a pair rather than as an individual hero, which I find more compelling, perhaps, than the sort of, like, Robert Downey Jr., who I find endlessly irritating um, um but i think the great the greatest thing about this film is that so much of marvel has been one sort of cinematographic style um phases one mm. and two were very sort of gray and very flat and very cgi heavy phase three sort of decided to be a bit more psychedelic and have some sort of pretty colors and lights and things and i with phase four i think i think the thing that i really noticed about black widow i, I enjoyed black widow a lot but 
it it, st- it felt like it had gone back to that sort of phase one gray very flat and um looking at the trailer for um chloe shaw's eternals that also looks very flat and very sort of grayed out this is a film that uses so many different camera angles different cinematic graphic techniques there's slow motion there's those those gorgeous shots during the sort of um martial arts scenes where where the foot sort of goes around the back which you get out um from wheelchair films and i i just i just loved that i I thought it was it was definitely the first marvel film i've seen in a while that made me think gosh i'm really glad i saw this in a cinema um with as big a screen as possible because it really uses the cinematographic space in ways that perhaps other marvel films don't yeah and I, I will say there are at least two of those action those martial arts sequences particularly because it's the sort of thing that marvel never does which is their action sequences that have emotion and character arcs within the action um there really are standout moments it does go a bit cgi heavy at times <laughs> but at least it's in a direction that is uh you know unique or new or novel within the marvel universe hannah were you excited by the action sequences because that's one of the things that a lot of that premiere buzz when we get all of those tweets with the buzzwords in that we're talking about the action sequences do you enjoy enjoy that stuff yeah i mean i'm normally quite critical of that because i think it all looks the same in a lot of marvel movies and it's just like you know you can't really see what's going on because they insist on using like very bad camera angles and um it's normally interchangeable between films but actually yeah i think that it really um, works in uh, Shang-Chi. I think that they have kind of made a conscious effort to depart from the kind of um, people shooting laser beams at each other style of the other films. And I was very, uh, very taken with it. I think there's a great, the the kind of first fight scene uh, takes place on a bus uh, going down a hill in San Francisco. And I thought it was thoroughly entertaining. And then there's a great uh, fight sequence involving Tony Leung. And I mean, this guy's like 60. It's, you know, watching him kind of like, um, you know, kick ass is is incredibly like entertaining and uh, well thought out. And I will say like the visuals of the kind of of Tao Lao, which is where they go in the film, this kind of mystical uh, village deep in the forest of Macau, was very beautiful. I mean, yeah, like it's very CGI heavy, but I did like the the idea that they're kind of filling out the world, and it's not just about um, New York or Los Angeles, which is where most of these films kind of take place. And I think often with the MCU, there's a real um, feeling that the only place that is important to these films is America uh, or London, maybe sometimes. Um, but definitely in this film, it was a sense that there are other things happening beyond Captain America and uh, Iron Man. And yeah, I was I was very um, sceptical going in, but actually found myself quite invested. Though I will say, I, I don't understand with these films how they always manage to do it, but it always come out thinking that must have been two and a half hours and it's only two hours. <laughs> they do feel long. Like I, Maybe I'm just getting old, but yeah, they, they feel long to me. <laughs> well, let's put some scores on this. I'll come to you first, Lillian. This is in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect, and most importantly, is it better than The Suicide Squad? <laughs> well, I mean, may, may, maybe that, because Suicide Squad's sort of the last big a superhero film I saw and and my my enjoyment of this film is just the complete 
extreme opposite of that. So I think I went, I went, I went in with sort of three in mind. I think, um, yeah, didn't really know anything about it. Um, ready to be pleasantly surprised or just sort of meh, <laughs> if if the case was that. Um, but I, yeah, enjoyment five. This is the most enjoyable film I've seen in the cinema for a while. Um, I think um, it's just really, really fun. Um, that's a blockbuster five, just to be clear. Like I, I sort of um, would use it in a different sense for perhaps different styles of films. And then in retrospect of four, um, it, it's 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 one that I sort of shouted about a lot after seeing it, and then uh, yeah, it's sort of blurred in a bit more with some of the other Marvel films now. But I, I'd love to see it again, and I'm 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 sure that this will be. This is probably my favorite Marvel film I've seen. I would say. Oh wow! So yeah, a blockbuster five. I guess that's five popcorns uh, in comparison <laughs> to the five five berets of our house <laughs> cinema. Um, Hannah, uh, I think a three four three is where I'm sitting. I do think that um, as time goes by, maybe I won't remember it kind of um, as much as maybe some of the bigger, more bombastic Marvel movies, but. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I do think that it's a very solid first outing for these characters. I think they've done incredibly well to say that a lot of audiences probably won't be familiar with Shang-Chi and won't kind of know the history. And I am kind of, yeah, I'm excited to see where they go with it. I think there's a hint towards the end that this will maybe tie in to um, No Way Home in some way. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm... I'm kind of back on the okay. You have my attention, um, boat with Marvel, which is good. And they they were fighting an uphill battle with me. So, so yeah. They've reeled you back in, Hannah. I know. Just when I think I'm out. I remember there was a run <laughs> about two or three years ago where every time you said, "This is me. I'm out." Oh no! I'm like I am like Al Pacino in The Godfather Part Two. So, yeah, they pull me back in. Um, for me, I think this is very strong threes across the board from me. Um, not maybe not some in moments reaching some new highs for the overall overarching mega marvel franchise but um some things that kind of made it more solid and maybe yeah, yeah not as memorable as some of the other ones i agree with you there hannah um but sounds like a good trip to the pictures listeners um that were agreed on that let us know what you think if you do catch shang chi i'm particularly interested to see how to see how this goes down particularly with the marvel hardcore up next, it feels like we were only talking about Sparks a few weeks ago with the Sparks Brothers documentary, and now they're back with Leos Carax with the musical Annette. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Quick synopsis on Annette. A wild and wonderful rock opera with music written by Sparks, starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard, and directed by Leos Carax. Henry is a stand-up comedian with a fierce sense of humour who falls in love with Anne, a world-renowned opera singer. Under the spotlight, they form a passionate and glamorous couple. With the birth of their first child, a mysterious little girl with an exceptional destiny, their lives are turned upside down. So Hannah, I know you saw this in Cannes. I saw you um, immediately went out and bought the soundtrack as well. So uh, tell us a little bit about Annette, please. Yeah, I mean, this was definitely one of my, um, it's been on my kind of most anticipated list for a very long time. And every year I'm like, is this the year we get Annette? Um, and finally it was, finally a very strange year to drop a film like this. But um, it's the marriage of everything I love. Uh, I love Sparks, I love Adam Driver, I love Leos Carax. So really it couldn't have been a film better made for my interests and opening night can 2021 is a night that will kind of I think live in history in my brain um I think we were all so relieved to be there and to have got through all the rigmarole involving nasal swabs and spitting in tubes that by the time we actually sat down everyone was kind of well placed to um sit through something like this and I think some people would describe it as sitting through rather than like living through uh, I fall into the latter camp I was like totally enthralled all the way through and think it's uh, a masterpiece it's really like you know you take a band like Sparks who have spent five decades kind of doing exactly what they want to do regardless of whether or not anyone <laughs> wants to listen and someone like Leos Carax who's done very much a similar thing with his films in that he's not made very many but they are all very much the kind of uh, product of his like singular vision and singular interests and what you get is this um strange rock opera that reminds me a lot of uh, kind of Ken Russell and that very fun period of time when you could just wild out and make a two-hour uh, sung, basically sung through um, film about everything and nothing, you know. I mean, at its core, it's a love story, but um, that really doesn't kind of describe the... Uh, depths of human misery that I think we get to and I think the contempt for um, the fragility of the male psyche that this uh, this film kind of plays on I uh, yeah I, I really do think it's an all-time best from Adam Driver I think it's uh, I can't kind of praise it highly enough really 
Hmm. Lillian, what did you make of this? And also, I'm kind of I, I'm very much sold on the Sparks aspect because I like I, you know, we, we talked about music recently. I'm sold on the Oscarics and Adam Driver. I'm not a big musicals fan. Hmm. So, what do you think <laughs> of it? And can you convince me why I should see this? <laughs> if so, yeah, if you think it's good, <laughs> it's it's interesting because I've been trying to work out why people haven't perhaps been enjoying this as much as myself and Hannah have, and I think it's that this requires such it's it's such a convergence of such specialist interests that I think it just can't possibly appeal to that many people. As Hannah said, you have to really love the style of Sparks, you have to really love Leos character, you have to love Adam Driver, you have to have so many different interests and loves and, and also be you know, I love opera. I I, I love opera films. Um, Tales of Hoffman is one of my favourite films by Paul and Pressburger. This is this is what that does. It's sort of a cross between the opera film, an opera film like that, or something like Jacques de, by Jacques Demy, like Le Parapluie de Cherbe, um, which is something that Leo's character, I think, has been building towards for a long time. Um, there's the incredibly operatic sequence in uh, Les Amants de Pont-Neuve um, with the fireworks and, and on the Seine, and then you have the um, Holy Motors really builds towards that. There's wonderful musical moments in that. And there's a scene with Kylie Minogue, which is absolutely astonishing. And every time I watch um, his old, his earlier films, I keep thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be great if this guy just like went full out and did an opera? And that's this film. Um, and that's not going to appeal to everyone, but it's it certainly... Um, appealed to me and, and you know Sparks has done this before they did um, The Seduction of Ingmar Bergman um, which which is similarly like use just a sort of sung through storyline that was done for radio this has the combined visual aspect of what Carax is bringing to it um, and you know I've, I've seen it twice now I will probably watch it a hundred more times because every time there's so many very clever subtle visual cues there's there's these um biblical um allegories there's there's um adam driver's character has this sort of mark of cain that appears on his face um for, during the film there's the use of apples there's um the use of ape imagery and monkeys and things like that from book of um, revelations you know there's there's so much here there's also greek tragedy it has a greek tragic pr- plot um it's very self-deprecating on Carax's part i think uh, it's, it's sort of dedicated to his own daughter who appears at the start of the film and Annette is sort of who she is and and him sort of saying, what if I'd sort of exploited my own child and 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 what are the sort of failings of a man, really? That's what this film is about for two and a half hours. And that's quite pleasurable <laughs> to watch. Um, just this guy just completely fall apart. Um, and I really want to shout out Simon Helberg, who I think is just incredible in this film. He's not really in the first half. He's sort of vaguely there. And then the the second act is really where he sort of shows us what he can do. And I really hope that he's able to sort of put the Big Bang Theory behind him and do more art house in it. I mean, he was he was he was very good in Florence Foster Jenkins, but in this, he's Mm -hmm. he's just wonderful. And there's there's a scene where he's conducting an orchestra, which I, I, I would definitely put in sort of my top 10 cinematic moments of all time. I think it I think it's truly astonishing. I, I, I've seen it twice, as I say, and I just exploded into tears on both occasions. <laughs> High praise. Let's put some scores on this. Hannah, I'll come to you first. Um, I, I mean, I have to go with a five in anticipation just because I've been waiting for this since it was announced like six years ago or something ridiculous. 
um, I think a four in enjoyment. And I want to caveat this with just, I think there's just, it, I find it a very overwhelming film. And that doesn't necessarily mean I don't love it. I just find it very kind of, you know, I have to be fully kind of engaged at both time I've watched it. I think um, I've just felt very like, tense tense in a good way um i don't you know i'm not i'm not like stressed or anything but um i do think it's yeah there's there's i i, I can't i i can't say that i was like woo all the way through <laughs> just because i think it's it's not it's not that kind of movie um but definitely a five in retrospect i really do think it's one of the best that we've had this year yes it won't be for everyone but i think that the people who do connect with it will have uh, an absolute blast and I don't think that films should ever be for everyone so yeah I'm I'm all in on Annette I think it's wonderful Lillian yeah this this uh, converse to uh, Shang-Chi that's very much popcorn this is very much beret on um, fi- <laughs> fi- fi- film film analyst hat um, yeah this is vibes across the board for me I I want films to do what music does for me which because I'm I have a specific sensibility to music and it often makes me me weep it's what i love about live opera um and carax is just using the cinematic space to take that one step further as hannah says it's an overwhelming film and when i see a film i like to be overwhelmed in that way and and this this just absolutely did that for me wow better to be overwhelmed than merely whelmed gosh <laughs> i was I, I must say i was intrigued i've not seen this yet but you've made me even more intrigued so, listeners, if you see either Annette or Shang-Chi this weekend, let us know what you think at the usual channels, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Now, Film Club, this is a bit of a high-concept one. If you recall back in our Sparks Brothers episode, we discussed how in that documentary about Sparks, there was a failed attempt for the Brothers Mail to collaborate with Jacques Tati on a film back in, I believe, the 1970s. Um, so because they now have finally made their big musical film with Leos Carax in Annette, we're going to look back at a Jack Tatty film, so we're going to talk about Playtime. Playtime is a surreal comic vision of mankind's battle against the overwhelming depersonalisation of modern life. Jack Tatty stars as the hapless Monsieur Hulot, who ambles through the massive metropolis specially constructed for the film. The film is a multi-layered symphony of sight and sound gags, and jokes unfold in various parts of the frame simultaneously, while the soundtrack, a meticulously composed cacophony of footsteps, gibberish, and lounge music, only adds to the absurdity. So, Lillian, I'll come to you first on this. What's your um, relationship with Jack Tatty, if you've had one uh, so far? Yeah, I I don't remember when I first sort of came across him. I think he's just one of those characters who's sort of always been there for me. Um, I I used to love silent comedy as a child, um, particularly Charlie Chaplin. Um, And the thing that I've always loved most about Chaplin's films is that there's a romantic element to all of his stories, which some of the other um, silent comedies perhaps don't do as much stuff like um, Buster Keaton or Lauren Hardy. Chaplin always has this sort of sort of um, he's he's not very good looking and sort of bumbling but still sort of like has ambitions of, of sort of um, being lovely to the girl and City Lights is one of my favourite films and I love the ending of that film and Playtime for me is just sort of a Chaplin film upscaled. It's, it's um, 
he sort of starts off making um, a film called Jour de Fête, which where he's which doesn't have the Hulot character, which is about a postman, and that's um, there's a lot of influence on Mr. Bean and Mr. Bean's Holiday, but in particular in in that film, sort of um, bicycle scenes through through France. Um, then we have Les Vacances de Monsieur Hulot, which is um, very small scale, just sort of at a beach. Um, setting up these sort of antics and, and setting up this, this, this bumbling character who um, is incredibly charming. Um, Mononcle upscales that again to this sort of modern household and um, it, it, that that's a film which is sort of starting to mock um, modernity and technology and the state of the modern world and then Playtime, they, they built this, this entire city um, which is commonly referred to as Tativille and they built that on the same um, um, studio lot as, as the house in Mononcle, and he just uses it as like a giant sandbox to sort of have fun in. Um, and yeah, I, I think if, if you're sort of looking for a film with a plot, this isn't for you. <laughs> um, this is this is a film where that's literally the premise, and it's just sort of um, cry havoc and whatever it's gonna just sort of keep building and building and building and maybe that's why it's it's quite long for a comedy it's it's so it's almost two hours um if it perhaps feels longer there's a, there's an incredible scene in a restaurant which goes on for about 40 minutes um which which is sort of like a microcosm of the larger city that it sort of starts off everything sort of going fairly smoothly and then trouble sort of escalates and escalates and yeah it's just it's a film that's never been made before or, or, or since. Um, it sort of was disastrously marketed and um, distributed in America and bankrupted to T. And his his later films, he makes one more Hulu film called Traffic, um, which which is just... It's, it's sort of sad watching that film after watching Playtime because you can sort of see what f- total freedom looks like in Playtime and what sort of the restrictions are that he are then placed on him again after that um yeah i love this film very much boy do i feel like a slub uh <laughs> you're growing up with silent comedy french films opera i'm a comic book and video games kind of guy so my entire adult life has been catching up with things other people have seen but actually video games is an interesting touch point because this is really all reminds me you say the word sandbox and we were talking about a film free guy only a few weeks ago but this is this is is the closest to almost like an open world film if i if this sounds doesn't sound too ridiculous to say where every there is no single character it's just multiple things going on at once, recurring themes and characters across these five or six sequences uh, of, of varying lengths. And it is just like life is playing out in front of you and your people watching, sitting at a cafe or sitting in a restaurant watching things happen. And yes, what we'd said in the synopsis there about how the entire frame is filled with stuff. I know that Tati wanted to shoot in 70 millimeter um, to get the attention to detail and the quality so that the whole frame can be um, you know, equally important. And yeah, a very bewildering film if you just hear, oh, Tati is the French chaplain, uh, and then you w- sit down to watch this and your Hulot is the, the French equivalent of the tramp. Um, it's not really that. It's, you know, the, the tramp is still the protagonist through most of Charles Chaplin's feature films, and this one is protagonistless. Uh, it's really fascinating, though, trying to wrap your head around a completely different type of film that, as you say, Lillian, probably hadn't been made before and hasn't been made since. Hannah, what did you make of Playtime? 
Yeah, this is where I out myself as a Philistine. Um, I I uh, just didn't I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> um, I I okay. So David has told me to watch this a million times. He's a, he's like a kind of resident tattoo stan. Uh, he loves him. He always kind of any opportunity to talk about tatty uh, as we will discuss in a moment I'm sure um so I was like yeah okay finally gonna sit down and do this one and I started watching it and I just it just uh, I, I I could feel myself like losing interest very quickly and I had to stop it and restart it so I was like okay Hannah you're not giving this the kind of um, attention it deserves and I can appreciate absolutely the scale of it and you know making this massive set which is incredibly impressive even by today's standards it looks you know it it does kind of um, have that like futuristic dystopian vibe even though it it isn't like a kind of um, dystopian movie in the sense of like you know what we're used to with the Blade Runners of the world but um, I just it's just, just not for me, you know, and some films aren't, as we've just been discussing. Um, I think maybe this would play better for me on like a big screen where I purely have just the kind of scale and the sound to focus on. But on a television at home, it really was, it was a struggle for me to get through this. And I think as well, I've been so spoiled and raised on this diet of very um kind of spoon-fed cinema where you know there's a there's a there's a protagonist and you watch the protagonist go through a thing and that's it whereas this is so impressionistic and so kind of um there's like six different episodes um and you kind of follow the same characters but they kind of flit in and out and it's I just, I, you know, I don't have a great attention span at the best of time. Don't know why I became a film critic, but um, <laughs> I was, I was, I was very much struggling here, guys. And I know that some people are going to be in my, uh, in my Twitter mentions no, <laughs> saying, I, Hannah, yeah. it's, it's interesting why? you saying that, Hannah, because I, I, I think it's amazing that you can love the net and then perhaps not engage <laughs> with, with this so much. And maybe, maybe that comes from, from as you say, sort of watching a net in a cinema and not because. What's so fascinating watching these two films in such proximity is like because y- you know you you talk to Sparks and there's a your great interview in the in the new issue of Little White Lies where you ask them about the project they were going to do with Tati and I think that there's that what I was saying about Annette in in the last section is that there's so many different things to sort of spot and each time you watch it there's something else within the frame that you haven't quite noticed before. Um, the sparks themselves sort of show up in the corner of the frame occasionally in that film there's a scene where Adam Driver sort of being led through a crowd and you can you can see um, Ron Mayo sort of like heckling him in the background and I, I think for it, that they would have worked very well together I think they have a very similar sort of like total vision of what cinema can do and that when you have a frame you use every inch of it it's sort of like I don't know a Hieronymus Bosch painting or, 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 or a Seurat painting where there's all these little tiny details and you get up close to it and you see something that you can't quite see from, from further away and I think that that's really what Playtime's all, all about um, and it does have a plot there's 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 the girl there's there's, there's, yeah. there's there's Ulo and and ultimately it's it's this very sweet thing of sort of he he just sort of wants to 
be nice to her and gives her a, a scarf. It's nice. <laughs> it's it's a very it's a very charming, completely harmless film, and I think that that's something that we don't see very often. But the, the, there's there's so much invention within that film, and still, you know, days after watching it, imagery is coming to my mind. But also sequences. There is one of the sequences, which is the restaurant sequence, is just basically a self-contained short of the worst opening night of any restaurant in history, as everything's going wrong and the wrong people show up. And there's an amazing sight gag which keeps getting more funny the more it goes where the doorman the 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 plain glass window of the door kind of shatters but the doorman still holds the handle of the door and pretends it's still there opening and closing the door but then moves around the space as if the door is moving with him onto the streets into the restaurant still pretending there's a door there which just becomes more and more surreal as it goes on i will i mean i'm i i'm i don't know if i'm the first person maybe i'm just you know this is a the very bad frame of reference to pull about video games, but it does remind me a lot of the recent Hitman video games, which is, I mean, wow. I'm off on, I'm definitely off on a limb here, but the Hitman games, of course, are assassination games, but you and you play an assassin, but you're dropped within a meticulously created world where there are multiple characters going about their business, and you can just play that as um, a you know voyeuristic experience, seeing the world play out around you, and I think that's what. Tati is doing here. So you've heard it here first, Hitman inspired by <laughs> Playtime. But <laughs> Hannah, you did mention that our resident Tati Stan is um, David Jenkins, who's currently in Venice living it up, watching um, some fantastic films. I did ask him to send me a quick message um, about Playtime, so I'll read that out. I won't do his voice. Greetings from Venice. I received a lovely note from Michael asking for a short reflection on Jacques Tati's 1967 film Opus on the back of seeing Hannah's completely valid but nonetheless incorrect take on the film via Twitter. I send this note with an added sense of urgency, less an additional melody line to a celebratory fanfare and more as a defence of a film I hold dearly in my heart. It has been a personal tradition for me to watch Playtime on 1st of January every year since I originally saw it in about 2008, and these annual revisits always yield a fresh sense of wonder and new revelations. This is indeed the urtext for what we now refer to as the Easter egg, the little secrets that are buried on the screen for only the most intrepid of viewers. I think the best and most true thing written about the film was by the critic Jonathan Rosenbaum, who said that you don't merely need to re-watch this film to unlock its secrets, but you need to sit in different seats in the cinema too. This is, for me, the film that uses the screen as a total canvas and gently subverts the idea of the director's job being to decide what you look at. I love the moment where the drunk guy mistakes the veins on a marble pillar for a street map, which kind of sums up the idea of looking at cities not as landscapes, but as conceptual art pieces. Finally, the scene where Ulo gives Barbara the tea towel is a heartbreakingly beautiful gesture and it always makes me cry. And the final shot as well, which suggests that the city is not only a theme park, but that it is also sentient picking up on some threads that we discussed there. That's an amazing idea about re-watching a film multiple times in the cinema, but with a different seat. That's almost like theatre, I suppose. It's amazing he's and seen it so different. many times and he thought it was a tea towel and it's a, it's a silk scarf, but okay. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> cut that. Calling out Dave Jenkins cut, there. Cut, cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Lillian, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast all these years, <laughs> but now that you... <laughs> Now that you've uh, called David into question, I think maybe the last we'll hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, listeners, let us know what you think of Playtime or any other Jacques Tati films, as well as the new releases we discussed earlier in the episode at the usual channels, Truth and Movies at TCOLondon.com or LW Lies on Twitter. Lillian Hannah, it's been such a pleasure talking through these films with you. Up next week, we have, I'll spell it out, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Respect. We also have Co-Pilot and in Film Club, due to a new restoration, we're going back to watch The Servant. Listeners, subscribe wherever you pod, and if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews, we'd love you to leave one for us too. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.